All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Can you see it? Did you notice? Check, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It arms
Hello Canucks fans, welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. My name is Chris Faber and thank you for joining us this week. The Canucks Conversation is presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic and I will introduce my co-host now because he is sitting on a gold mine of Zephyr Epic cards right now. David Quadrelli, Quads, how's it going man? Tell me what we got from Zephyr Epic here. So we have four blaster boxes, I think, yeah, or booster, blaster, whatever, boxes of Series 1. And the MVP cards of the 2020-21 season. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We haven't opened any of those yet. So we're going to get into those. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think we're going to have to open one this weekend, potentially, with some other fun stuff planned that involves you taking shots on me while I'm wearing a neutral vodka goaltending jersey. Absolutely, that should be a lot of fun. We should get around to some hockey stuff on the weekend. That'll be fun. But um, uh, aside from the hockey stuff... Uh, you tweeted out a picture of it. I know you wrote about it on the Patreon as well. Can you give me a breakdown of the stuffed Gouda meatballs that I made for you and you got to try this week? Absolutely incredible. So the first night when you brought them, there was like a little bit of spaghetti in there. So I made more spaghetti and then I had some of my mom's sauce in a yogurt container in the fridge because of course I did. And I threw that on top of the spaghetti with the meatballs, mixed it all up and it was so good. And then the like yesterday... I put penne and then more sauce and then had the meatballs and man, those meatballs are so good and you've, you've got to teach me how to make them one day, man, because holy cow, like fantastic. Even And they got the stamp of approval from my mom, so you got the Italian mother's stamp of approval. That's that's all I was asking for. I knew that uh, I had a feeling you would like them, but I needed your mom's approval. So now that I got a mama, a mama Italian on the show, uh, giving me plus on my meatballs, I'm very excited for that. So I'm glad I got Mama Quad's uh, approval on the meatballs. I, I thought I would, Matt. I tell you, those meatballs, like I made them, I've made them quite a bit in the past, and I think over the past few months here, I've kind of mastered it. That's kind of been my thing through COVID, mm-hmm. uh, making a little bit of, you know, trying to trying to make some of my food and kind of fine tune the ingredients to make the perfect recipe and i feel like i found it with the meatballs right now i, I i'd have to agree after having them i'd have to agree with you <laughs> uh we got a lot of canuck stuff to talk about as well um definitely a lot of news going on whether it's just rumors and rumblings but at the same time the prospects have been busy and speaking of prospects we are joined by Jonah Gadjevich this week on the show. Very excited for get to that conversation. That was one that I just had one-on-one with him. Uh, working on a deep dive right now for Canucks Army that I'll be putting out hopefully next week sometime. Uh, but it was great to talk to Jonah. Uh, he joined, like I said, 30-plus minutes on the conversation. You guys will hear that in the middle of this episode. And It's been a great week, man. We had Niels Huglander on the show on Wednesday. We're going to have Jonah Gadjevich on this episode. Uh, just a, a really cool week, I think, You know, getting those two guys that are you know some of the top 10 prospects for the Vancouver. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've talked about other guys potentially coming on the show, uh, aside from Nikita Triamkin, who we're going to talk about on this show. And I'm actually not going to be ragging on him. I've got a lot to say about Nikita Triamkin. But yeah, it's good. We're having a lot of good prospects on the show. And hopefully we can add Triamkin to the list because again, that would be maybe the best interview we've ever conducted. Yeah, well, let's go right there because I I uh, I'm running out of energy. I've been up early today. I got about four hours of sleep last night, uh, and for that reason, I the reason why I didn't get a lot of sleep was I woke up to watch Triampkin this morning, seven a.m. It's the first time I've committed to get back into Triampkin's game, and man, he looked impressive today. I mean, he's a guy who's been playing a hell of a lot of minutes down there in the KHL, um, and today was a great game. I mean, he looked like he was skating well. He was passing the puck well. He was very physical in the first period. Uh, just an all around. You know, got back a little bit on the Triampkin hype train a little bit today. I don't know about you. 
Well, I mean, how can you not, right? And I mean, this is this is what we need to talk about because you know I, I've gone on record so many times and I've been saying for months now that the Canucks cannot go after Triumphkin again. And I was talking about this off season. Like there was no way that after the season he turned in last year in the KHL that he could come in for the Canucks at two million dollars and move the needle in the right direction. In fact. I would say that he would have moved it in the wrong direction. So this is what I'm talking about. Like when we were, you and I were talking about him, we said like he needs to go to the AHL and he needs to prove that he can play well and he can be back in the NHL. Now, I don't know about you, but looking back on it, I could have revised that and said, or he needs to go back to the KHL, play top pairing minutes, play well, and he needs to be effective and show that he can at least be effective at that level to even think about getting a shot with the Canucks who are all of a sudden a contending team once again or they're going to be trying to be contending at least so I mean I'm curious to get your thoughts on it because you know you and I talked about a lot like we both thought he wasn't NHL ready yet and we wanted to see him turn in a good season in the AHL before coming to the NHL if the Canucks had signed him now obviously they didn't sign him and now he's in the KHL so I'm curious to get your thoughts on it because that's kind of how I look at the situation now is I'm like okay like if he can turn in a good season here like yeah like let's let's talk about bringing him back like this could be something that the Canucks explore yeah and that's like we talked about it a little bit, I think going into the playoffs and kind of a lot of offseason talk about Nikita Triampkin. And one of the things that we kept mentioning was the way that it's kind of set up right now with this season in the KHL, though we didn't really want to see him come back for the Canucks for this season, it, it almost sets up so perfectly for him to make a return in 2021-22 for that season, right? Because yeah, he he's going over to the KHL. He's playing top pairing minutes for a guy who was an NHL coach in Bill Peters, uh, who's now coaching over there in the KHL. He's playing a heck of a lot of minutes. Last time I checked, he was tied for fifth in the KHL for average ice time on the ice. He's putting up points. He's playing physical. But the biggest thing is it looks like he's developing in the other parts of his game so far. Don't get yes. me wrong. It's still very early in the season. I mean, I think... I think he's only played six to seven games, I believe. I would have to double check here. Sorry. I think he played his ninth game today. Um, and from there, I mean, like, it's it's looking like the things that we talked about and the things that we didn't like about his game have improved a little bit. The skating's like, like, he's not a bad skater. He wasn't a bad skater when he was here in Vancouver. He just wasn't great um, at playing defense and being able to quickly react to plays. And it, it's not like he's gotten outstanding at that either. Like, he's... Uh, you know, like he's not great still at quick reaction time and having his stick be the one that makes the good move when he needs to against a forward who has a stick and is always faster than him. Like mm-hmm. he's he's still a little bit slow to react to things, but you're seeing better passes. You're seeing him ice the puck less. You're seeing him get time on the penalty kill. And this is what he's doing on the big ice, right? Like he's doing this on a huge sheet of ice compared to what he would be like in North America on the NHL ice. And I do think that that lends its way to Triankin actually being a more productive player when he comes and plays on that smaller ice because you look at how much space he takes up already in the KHL, he's just going to take up more space per body size that he's on the ice kind of thing. I don't know how to really explain that, but like he's going to take up even more space when he comes over to the smaller ice with his reach that he has and, the, and just the pure size of him. Okay, now, you know this better than I do, but... I believe Triamkin's team plays on that smaller sheet of ice. I don't know if they've changed the ice dimensions, but I know for last season, like, 
some of the teams would play on Canadian ice dimensions. Some would play on Swedish size and Finnish size. Like, I'm not sure how they divide it up, but I know, like, they play on different sizes, and one of them is NHL regulation. So I know, like, I've heard that a lot about people saying, like, oh, he's going to come to the smaller ice service, but he's been playing on a smaller ice service quite a bit. So I don't know, like, I don't know if they've changed it this year or if, um, or, like, if he plays half of his games on there. Like, do you know much about that? Because I'll look it up right now while we talk if you don't know. Um, I don't think that his home ice is NHL size. It might have been in the past, but from just watching the games right now, it doesn't really look like it. Like, it looks it looks big. Like, it looks like there's a lot of space, but I could have just maybe seen a bunch of away games, not really paying a ton of attention uh, to who's the home team in these games. I'll have to look into that a little bit okay, more. But I've got it. No, I mean... Sorry. Okay, go ahead. I don't mean to cut you off. Okay, so... Uh, okay. Pod Colson's team plays their home games... Or is that CSKA? Yes, okay, yes. Pod Colson's team, yes. Pod Colson's team, sorry, plays their games on NHL size rinks. Triamkin plays on Finnish size. And then there's one after that that has seven teams, and that is the Olympic size uh, rink. So the majority of his games, he is playing on like a sheet of ice that's only two meters wider than. Canadian ice. Okay. Are you sure yes. about Pod Colson? Because Pod Colson's SK, not CSK. Yes, I have it right. I'll yeah, I have it right hmm. for sure. Because I watched their game today and it definitely looked like uh, big ice uh, in Pod Was, it a, was it a home game? Yeah, it was. It was SKA's home game, so okay. that's strange to me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like Triamkin right now, he's 12th in defenseman for scoring. He's got five points, one goal in nine games, averaging 23 minutes of ice time per game, 23 and a half minutes, actually. I mean, the guy's playing a ton of minutes under Bill Peters. He's on the first pairing, so it's good to see that he is taking a step. Like, you know, like we've, we've all but written him off pretty much. It felt like in the offseason that he was going to do this, but. I think this is a shocking thing for a lot of people that have watched Triam can play. And I'm not saying that I'm a hundred percent on the, on the train right now that he is going to make an impact player because like, you just don't know how that's going to translate when he comes over from Russia back to the North American league. And I still think that some time in the AHL would be something that could help him. Uh, but yeah, like it's, it's definitely a promising sign and we're not just going to rip a guy just because of the fact that we have talked about in the past that he's not an NHL defenseman. You know, if he's going to take steps and actually improve, I'm all for it. Like, I would love... I think that's what we said in the past. We would love to be surprised by Nikita Triamkin. And right now, honestly, like, I am being surprised just watching him play and seeing what he's been able to do so far this year. Absolutely. And that's the thing, right? If he can just figure out the stuff, like, something that I've seen just from the clips that you've been posting, you've watched him more than I have, is the gap control, right? And I mean, that was something that he struggled with before, and there's a lot of question marks around his positioning in both ends of the ice. And I mean, when that's the case, it's not usually a good sign that you're going to be an NHL defenseman, but if he's improving the things that he was doing poorly, I mean, I don't see a reason why he couldn't maybe become a bottom-pairing defenseman, right? Like, and, you know, make no mistake, when you're a contending team, having a bottom-pairing defenseman who can actually, like, be effective is huge, right? Like, we're not just putting bad defensemen on the bottom bottom pair anymore. Like, they are going to need some good, capable defensemen on the bottom pairing. And, I mean, if Triumph can provide them with that, that's awesome. That's a huge win for the Canucks. But, before, I, before we continue here, little plot twist. So, I looked up the Wikipedia page of the Ice Palace, which is where SK Ska plays their games, okay? Mm-hmm. It's saying on the Wikipedia page that the field size, whatever that means, I know that's the ice surface, is 60 by 30. But, that's from the Wikipedia... And then the site Nova Caps has a graphic here that says 
St. Petersburg plays their games on Canadian ice, which is 26 by 60. So now I'm all confused. But, okay, I looked at a picture online. So everybody listening to this, if you look up SKA, St. Petersburg rink size, the first photo that comes up is like a rink, but then it shows them changing the board side. So, oh, this is an updated version. Yeah, okay, so they, they change the board size. It's like they can morph it. Okay, they do play... Yes, yes, okay, cool. Interesting, very, very interesting. They do play... Yes, they do play on a 26 by 60 now. But when it was built, it was 60 by 30, but now they've shrunk it. And it's like they can change it around. So I'm not sure how they do that or when they change it around, but yeah. Interesting. Right. It doesn't look it doesn't look like that on tape. Like it looks like there's, you know, it looked like there was a lot of room on the ice, especially like Pod Colson's game went to overtime today. They went to 3 on 3 and there was a ridiculous amount of ice. So I don't know uh, if the stuff that you're looking up is accurate, to be honest, I'm pretty sure that they're playing on a bigger ice surface. Uh, just from from watching it, <laughs> like it, it doesn't look like an NHL size. It might just be something about the camera view, but I'm gonna disagree with the wherever you're finding this this information. I'm but looking um, at your clip, and I think you're right. It looks. Yeah, I don't know, man. It could be. No, you, I don't know, man. I've I'm, seen I'm a lot of their in. games. <laughs> I'm locking in. I'm locking in this 26 by 60. Okay, I disagree, but let's go back to Triamkin a little bit. In the last three games that he's played, um, 30 minutes of ice time, 25-31 ice time, 22-07 ice time. I mean, he's playing a ton of minutes, and the way that it works out with the Canucks and their left side of the defense core, you know, we're going to see Ole Levy next year. We're going to see Jack Rathbone next year. But we're also going to see at the end of next year that Alex Edler's contract is up and they're going to need some defensemen to step in and play in those roles. Obviously, nobody's going to play the number one side, number one slot on the left side. That's Queen Hughes' spot for what I hope will be the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like, you, you're going to need one of those guys to jump up into the top four, probably, because I don't know if Edler is going to be coming back or if he is coming back, if he's effective enough to really be a top four guy. So, you know, one of, I think, Jack Rathbone or Olio Levy is going to have to work his way into the, a top four role, whether that be, I hope that that's by the start of the 2021 season that one of them can do that. And then you kind of open up the door for the left side to be, you know, Yo Levy or Rathbone, which everyone's not playing in the top four, will hopefully be the third pairing guy. And then, you know, maybe you have Triampkin after that. And Triampkin can also play the right side. Um, it's an option to have him there. So, yeah, like, I don't want to write him off yet, but I also want to sing his praises for another 10 minutes on this podcast because it's not like he's scoring, you know, top scoring defenseman in the KHL right now. He's putting up some points. He's playing a little bit better. Um, he's got my attention. I've decided to start waking up for his games. They're always a couple hours ahead of Pod Colson's game, so I'll be up for the 5 a.m.s and the 7 a.m.s for Triampkin. Definitely going to continue to to keep an eye on him a little bit more than I probably was at the start of the season. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll be following up on that in the future though, for sure. But I mean, it's, it's promising and it's a good start for him. He's got three points in his last three games, but he also has two minors, uh, in his last two games as well. Uh, in each of those games, he has two minors. So you know, he's still taking penalties guess, and stuff. <laughs> yeah. The tripping one was, was kind of bad. The actually, yeah. the other one that he took today was like a goaltender interference one. Um, and if he doesn't have size 22 feet, he probably doesn't get that penalty, but it was, it was another (laughs) tough one. So both penalties were kind of questionable, but I mean, he does get a lot of penalties, um, still, uh, while he's playing, but you know what? A lot of shots on net too, you know, in the last two games, seven shots on net. So you got to be happy with that for, for Triampkin who's playing, you know, on the power play on the penalty kill first pairing minutes. Bill Peters loves this guy. So, uh, I I only think he's going to kind of improve and continue to keep playing. He's back wearing an A, uh, for Avto Mobilist, as I've been trying to pronounce them a little bit better. Nailed it. 
I think that was the way to do it. How's uh, how's your rogle or regla so uh, pronunciation Yerky, going? Yerky21 on Twitter came at me because he heard how I said it, but I said it exactly how Niels Hoaglander said it. I have a button, but we're remote. We're recording this remotely, so I don't have the button ready right now. But literally, Nils Hoaglander told us that the pronunciation of it in Swedish, unless he's just messing with these two Canadian reporters that he's talking to, it <laughs> is regle. That's how you say it. It's not ragle. It's regle. Like that. It's like a reg. That's how that's how Hoaglander said it. And I was also told it's Hoaglander, but I thought it was Hoaglander. I thought it was Hoaglander. Um, but think, yeah, we're working with it. it. And we have the drop. So when we get back in the studio, we don't even have to do it. We just have the drop. We'll go straight from Thomas Durant's right to Regle. Uh, but he's also. But we also got the stamp of approval from Huglander on the show on Wednesday that we were saying it fine for the English way, right? Like he said, we were saying it Man, like completely fine. I told you though, he's trying to be nice. That's like how Pedersen told everybody his name was El- El- Elias Peterson when he got here. Like he was just being nice. He doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. It's the hockey. It's code, man. It's the code. So, yeah, I feel like that might be the Swedish code. It's just like, you know, be as nice as possible. And Huglander, by the way, I've shown you some of the texts that we had. I have <laughs> never received a text message from Niels Huglander that does not have an emoji in it. He just loves like his emojis. So, yeah, Sammy Salo as well. A lot of these guys love their emojis. But, um, all right, I think we spent enough time on <laughs> Triamkin. Like, man, it, it's funny because, like, we start recording and we start talking about Triamkin, and I swear, no 15 minutes goes by faster uh, than what we do when we talk about Nikita Triamkin. We have a lot to get to on the other side, but I think it's a good time to throw to our interview now after a couple of quick words from our two sponsors, uh, Labat and Zephyr Epic. So let's get to those ads, we'll get to the Jonah Gadjevich conversation, and then we'll meet you guys on the other side to talk a little bit about the Gadjevich conversation and then dive into the, some of the recent stuff going on with the Canucks rumors and rumblings, and as well well as dive into what's going on with Vasily Pod Colson and Niels Huglander and their situations uh, with their seasons beginning. So we'll see you on the other side of these breaks and hopefully you guys enjoy this conversation with Jonah Gadjevich. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for sports cards and trading card games. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50. And now, join them for Thursday night breaks at 5 p.m. Pacific time every Thursday and be a part of an epic case break experience. Purchase your spot on ZephyrEpic.com and watch the live stream on twitch.tv slash ZephyrEpic. And for all you Canucks Conversation podcast listeners, you can save $5 off your purchase with the code CanucksConvo. Some restrictions apply. Follow them on social media to be part of monthly contests and ticket giveaways. Search Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All right, y'all. Before we go any further, I want to give a quick shout out to one of the two new sponsors of the Canucks Conversation. I'm talking about Mike's Hard Lemonade. You know about Mike's Hard Lemonade, but do you know about their new flavor, the Blue Freeze? It is absolutely delicious. One of my go-to alcoholic beverages right now was at a wedding a couple weeks ago, and it was absolutely delicious. My drink of choice for the whole day, it tastes pretty much just like a melted freezy. That's the best way I can describe it. But if you haven't gone out and tried it, I highly recommend the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. Uh, get out to your local liquor store if here are the legal drinking aids and make sure to give it a shot you can follow them on social media at mike's hard canada and check them out on instagram and twitter for both of those all right guys joining us now 2017 second round pick 55th overall by the vancouver canucks has played the last two seasons in utica riding it riding the bus i guess is what we call it down there uh jonah gadjevich is joining us now jonah how you doing today i'm good thanks how are you i'm doing great and um i kind of want to get started 
actually even before Utica a little bit uh, and dive into how you kind of got into hockey and potentially if you played any other sports growing up because I, I find it kind of funny. I mean, uh, some hockey players that I talk to, they're they're either athletes and they play a bunch of different sports or some of them just kind of found out that they were athletes when they got on the ice. So I'm curious which <laughs> one uh, you were of that too. Yeah, I mean, uh, I probably started playing when I was about three or four. Um, you know, I played, I played house league all the way up until like peewee or something like that because, um, you know, rep was just like, it was such a big commitment when we're, when you're a young kid and, you know, with the different sports, you know, I was playing soccer. I played, you know, I tried lacrosse. I tried football. You know, my parents kind of wanted me to, you know, be a kid and enjoy different sports and then try new things. So I wasn't like, you know, specifically focused on hockey. And then when I got older to, you know, I think it was Pee Wee was my first year of rep hockey. I just kind of, you know, sat down with my parents and just said to them that, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, I just, I love playing hockey. So I wanted to play more of it and, uh, and then got into rep. Awesome. Well, that's great. And you, and you mentioned you grew up in Whitby, Ontario. That's uh, an interesting spot. We kind of joked about it before getting going here. Home of David Ayers, for people who don't remember the name, uh, the Zamboni driver who ended up coming in and playing for the Carolina Hurricanes and getting a win over the Leafs. Uh, what were your initial thoughts? Because you mentioned that you didn't know who this was until uh, until it started saying that he was from Whitby, Ontario. Did that surprise you a little bit? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'd, I'd never really heard of him, but... Um to see you know obviously it was it was big news when he went in and you know he got the win and stuff so uh afterwards hearing that he was from Whitby it was uh nice to see someone represent the town well like that <laughs> absolutely and you guys have had some pretty good representation James Neal obviously from Whitby Paul Ranger I'm wondering like what's the hockey scene kind of like in Whitby Ontario um it's pretty good actually I know there's there's a lot of good uh you know hockey schools and then you know gyms and uh you know the the whitby minor hockey association is a really good program you know obviously i i grew up playing through it and um yeah you know some names like you just mentioned uh, have come through and it's uh, it's a really nice hockey town absolutely and canucks actually just recently went that way and drafted ethan keppen uh in the 2019 draft did you remember hearing about a young ethan keppen potentially when you were in whitby yeah i did actually i remember well when i was in owen sound um and he was i think gonna be drafted into the ohl i remember hearing his name like you just kind of you know if you hear someone's from whitby you you do a little research (laughs) on them and then see who they are and then uh you know he was my roommate at uh at uh, camp this past year so i got to know him pretty well and and he's a he's an awesome guy oh that's awesome here and um i kind of want to dive into camp a little bit because i find it so interesting uh hearing what the prospects camp was like because i think over the past couple years um, 2018 being the first one that I kind of heard this was a guy like Quinn Hughes just sticks out so much and and he looks like an absolute elite player at these camps and then recently with some of the guys that I talked to who were at this year's prospect camp uh, said the kind of the same thing about Niels Huglander saying that he was on the next level uh, compared to some guys do what do you remember from this past prospects camp well, so actually, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't at the the prospect camp in the the midsummer one, so I didn't get to get a chance to see him, uh, Hoglander. But uh, when I was at you know the rookie camp and and main camp, which is in uh, you know the September one, yep. uh, I got to see a lot of these young guys and you know a lot of really skilled, a lot of really good players coming up. So it's uh, it's exciting to see. Yeah, and I'm actually from Vancouver Island as well. I remember being in attendance at the one in Victoria. What did you think of Victoria? Was that your first time over to Vancouver Island? 
It was, yeah. No, it was great over there. Really cool. They had a good setup for camp there. And, uh, you know, obviously it was really competitive and uh, a lot lot of tough days there. But uh, I loved it. It was great. Absolutely. I I wanted to get into your OHL career just a little bit before we start to really dive into this Comet stuff. Um, And I wanted to ask you, like, going into that, you had your first two years where you played over 60 games in both those games or in both those seasons, you know, didn't put up a ton of great numbers, but then you come into that 2016-17 season, uh, and it seemed to just explode. I know you had an awesome line there uh, featuring another Canucks prospect, Petrus Palmu. Uh, what was that team like for you? Was that just a special year for you in 2016-17? Oh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a very memorable year. Um, you know, leading up to my first two years in the in the league uh, were big learning years and then development years. Um, you know, I think I had, like, a bit of a different role. I mean, in... in junior hockey when you're you're a young guy you kind of start at the bottom i mean it's like anywhere you know the same thing with pro hockey you kind of start at the bottom and work your way up and mm-hmm. um you know i just stuck with it i really really trained hard i was really hard on my diet i really uh you know put in a lot of extra work and, and i think by the time i got to my third year which was my draft year um everything just started to click and and you know i, I got to play with PD and I got to play with you know Suzuki and guys like Hancock and we just had we had such an amazing group that year and uh, you know like I said we'd played together all of us for for a couple of years at that point so I think we just started the gel and we all had that connection together and and just had a lot of success yeah and you got 46 goals in those 60 games uh, obviously a lot of goals came from different parts on the ice but I'm curious do you think that there was more than 30 of those from within maybe five feet of the crease because that seems to be where you dominate yeah, probably forty of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was a lot of fun watching some of those highlights. I mean, some of the plays that you guys were putting together at the OHL level with that line was just ridiculous. Yeah, no, it was fun to be a part of it. It was fun to play with guys like Nick Suzuki and then Petrus Palmer. So, uh, you know, like I said, we enjoyed our time there. There's a fun year and a special group. And um, I remember, you know, when I started covering hockey and kind of really getting into prospects, kind of was that 2017 draft. And I remember when they drafted you in the second round, the first thing I do is I go to elite prospects. I, I try and see the numbers that you put up. Uh, and I'm not sure, maybe that giggle knows what I'm talking about here, but that photo of you uh, on elite prospects uh, from the February 16th game, uh, you took a cross check from Max Jones uh, as you scored your hat trick goal as well. Uh, do you have any fond memories of that game? Because the picture, uh, I mean, it tells a thousand stories pretty much. Oh yeah, I remember that very clearly. <laughs> it was uh, it was a fun night, great game to be a part of. That's for sure. Absolutely. What do you think about that scene when you know if you ever look yourself up, or maybe your friends or family look you up on Elite Prospects, and that's the photo that they decided to use? Yeah, it's a little aggressive. I mean, they probably could have <laughs> chose a different one, but uh, I think I think people get a good laugh at it. <laughs> I think they do. I think people are thinking, you know, if they haven't ever looked it up, uh, please do. If you guys are listening to this right now, head over to Elite Prospects. You'll definitely get a laugh out of it um and then your final year of the ohl you actually get selected to the world juniors what was that experience like for you because i think so many canadians um tune into this this uh, incredible tournament that they have at the best time of the year uh and you got to actually be a part of it was that kind of a dream for you growing up yeah i mean um you know i remember staying up super late to you know when when the tournament was overseas to to watch games and um, you know, obviously when I just, every year, every year, me, my family, my friends, we're always talking about the world juniors. We're always watching the games. And, um, you know, I went to the, to the, uh, the showcase camp, I think, or whatever it's called, the, the world junior summer camp, um, the previous summer. Um, and that was, that was great. Uh, you know, it was nice to kind of be, you know, potentially on their radar. And, you know, I thought, I thought I showed well there and then, you know, being selected for the super series games, 
um, thought I had a good showing there. And uh, when I got invited to that final camp, I mean, I, I kind of said to myself, I was like, wow, like, you know, you're getting this opportunity. I, I wasn't sure, you know, I knew I wasn't a lock. I, I really knew that I had to work for that, mm-hmm. uh, for that spot on the team. And, um, you know, I, I knew my role. I knew what they needed. And I just did it to the best of my ability and then ended up getting the call. And um, it was just incredible. I mean, the whole experience was was surreal um you know really cool being able to represent your country and you know i I had never played under 17 or under 18 you know the the tournaments leading up to world juniors basically and um it was kind of my first gig with hockey canada and uh definitely one to remember yeah and i think that's when you really came on the canucks fans radar because they saw um you mentioned it you you knew that there was a role that needed to be played and that's kind of what you brought to that team i mean you you came in as a a guy who played in the bottom six played feisty as hell uh when i asked you if you played sports i was really expecting to hear rugby just from seeing the way that you play on the ice at times um (laughs) you know what yeah i I always wanted to play rugby growing up (laughs) but uh my mom wouldn't let me my my dad was a professional rugby referee um so he my brother played and he was always trying to get me to play and i wanted to (laughs) but uh my mom was like no you're too uh too soft (laughs) well your dad must be proud because he seemed to bring a little bit of that rugby mentality in hockey i feel yeah well um let's get right into this utica comments here because you came into your rookie season um i don't don't mean to speak for you but i I see the numbers that you put up this past year and i'm wondering was that first year just was it just too much of a tough transition i mean i've heard it a similar thing actually when i talked to cole earlier in the year that that jump from junior to, to professional hockey it's it's potentially the biggest jump that a guy who's recently drafted kind of has to go through yeah i mean i definitely think it was the biggest jump um you know I, I i don't know if i anticipated it being such a difficult league to play in um i knew it was obviously good hockey i've seen ahl games before but you don't really know until you get out there and um you know we had a lot of guys in utica there and i was you know trying to fight my way into the lineup and then stay in there and it's just uh you know it's a tough league and and i think it kind of uh you know took me by surprise and i think i I had to work extra hard and then i put in a lot of extra work when i was in utica i was doing a lot of you know extra workouts and and extra skates and you know after practice i'd be doing extra skates with the coaches and uh just I tried to put in a lot of extra work and then coming into to the summer out of that year, I, I knew the way that I had to train. I knew the way that I had to approach my on ice skates. I knew that I had to bring more intensity and I had to, you know, really focus on what I was doing because, you know, if you want to get better and you want to succeed in in pro hockey, you can't just go through the motions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really took a step in, in my training and stuff and my off ice and on ice stuff. So I really, uh, you know, felt a lot more comfortable heading into to this, you know, my second year, and uh, I thought I made some strides for sure. I'm wondering because I've heard a lot of people, and they've mentioned that, you know, after you get a year of pro hockey, like you, you kind of just said it, like the off-season training, you know that you have to do something different, you know, or, or something to the next level. Now that you're a pro, uh, I'm wondering, was there anything that you picked up between your first and second year that you kind of did differently in the off-season? Um, you know what, I, I feel like I've always been a guy that worked really hard in the gym. You know, like I said before, I, I diet, like, you know, I have my naturopath that, you know, I have a very specific diet, mm-hmm. um, extra supplements. Like I'm, I'm really in tune, I think with my body and the way that I need to train and stuff. But I think just after being 
in the AHL, I think I realized, you know, that intensity that I need to bring every night. I think that, you know, the role that I was going to have success with playing in Utica, I needed to bring that extra fire and I I needed to have, you know, better conditioning. I needed to be stronger on pucks. I, you know, because, you know, in sound, I think I won a majority of my puck battles. And then my first year in Utica, I wasn't winning a majority of the puck battles. I was losing a majority of them. So I knew that there were specific things that I had to work on and, and specific areas that I needed to improve in order to have success in, in my role. So um, I think coming into Utica this year, I had a better understanding of, of how I was going to have success here. And I worked on those, you know, weaknesses that I had. And I think I did a better job of getting to the net. I think I did a better job of winning puck battles and, you know, my play along the wall. I think I got more pucks out this year and I think I was better on the four track. So there was just little things um, in my game that I just felt like I just wasn't quite there Mm -hmm. in my first year in Utica. And and obviously it comes with experience. So the more games I play, the more, you know, comfortable I feel out there and and, and stuff like that. So it's just, you know, it's kind of a learning process and I'm going to, you know, heading into this year, I'm I'm still going to continue to work on weaknesses and I'm going to pick apart my game. I think that I'm a player that's you know, really hard on himself. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm also honest with myself though. I, I, you know, if I have a bad game, I'm not going to pat myself on the back and say, Hey, you know what? You did a good job. You know, I think I know how, you know, when I play well and when I don't, and I'm honest with myself and I talk with the coaches, I, I talk with, you know, older guys on the team. And then I really, I really try to improve my game. So, you know, I'm excited for whenever the season's going to start, but I'm excited for it to come up because I'm, you know, kind of tired of training in the gym i want to get out there and i want to get back into games because i feel like i'm ready yeah well that's awesome to hear and you mentioned it you know i've heard this from a lot of people a guy that um that i don't think really got like talked about enough maybe in the media or potentially even from the utica comments because i heard that he was uh, a lot louder in the locker room he's over in the khl now but what did you learn from a guy like reed boucher who's been around the block um well bush was bush was great to be around um you know just seeing his habits and practice they they translate right to the game um you know he you know if he doesn't score in practice like you can tell like he's pissed like he'll you know smash a stick off the board or whatever like you know you can you like he wants to he's a competitor he wants to score in practice and he wants to score in games like you know and that's kind of a mentality that i've you know tried to you know bring into my game is that you know I, I want to score in practice. Like I'm setting practice goals now because that's how it has to be. Like if I want to score in a game, you know, I got to do it in practice first. So it's just little things like that, that, that Bush does so well. And, uh, you know, he works so hard and, he, you know, he's always involved in the play and it's just, it's fun to watch and fun to learn from. So it was, it was great to have him as a teammate uh, for my first two years there. Most definitely. And it just seemed like a leader on the ice and off the ice from what we heard. And, and just hearing stuff from behind the scenes, you know, it's, I hear that he's a little bit funnier than uh, people would expect. Yeah, no, he's a great guy. <laughs> That's awesome. And another, like, you can learn from these veterans, but I wonder if you've learned anything from, from being in such a similar situation to a guy like Cole Lind, who came in and, you know, both of you guys are second round picks in the same year. You guys come in and, and both kind of, you know, I think it, it's safe to say you guys maybe struggle a little bit with that transition at the start. But both of you guys had bounce back seasons in your second year. So how cool is it to kind of go through the process with a guy who was also a CHL player, also made that jump and is in such a similar situation to you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, it was obviously good having Lindy there, uh, you know, 
being a CHL guy like myself, being a late birth, you know, I think we're, I think we're born like a couple days apart. Like, you know, we're very, very similar in that sense. So, um, you know, having a young guy on the team as well with me, um, you know, obviously he went through, you know, his ups and downs his first year and then he had a really strong season this year and it was great to see. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's nice having a guy like that around and, you know, we can just try to take, take strides from each other and then both try to improve and, you know, we push each other. So it's, uh, yeah, it's great to have a guy like that. And I, I find it just hilarious because there's so many similarities between you two and, um, this past season, there was two players from on the Utica Comets from Shonovan, uh, Dyson Stevenson and Cole, obviously. And next year, there's potentially going to be two guys from Whitby, Ontario, which is just crazy to think of the similarities yeah. that you guys are going through. Um, yeah, seriously. As we're uh, as we're kind of talk, talking about this Utica Comets team, um, like you know, I, I watched probably 95 percent of the games last year uh, for you guys. There was. You know, there were times where that Utica Commons team looked like the best offensive powerhouse in the AHL, it felt like. Uh, was that kind of your guys' vibe going into the season? Because you had a lot of great skilled players, it felt like. Yeah, for sure. We had a lot of strong offensive players. And, um, yeah, I mean, obviously everyone wants to score goals. So there was, there was definitely some games there where, it, uh, you know, some of the guys made it look pretty easy. And then, you know, there was some where it wasn't so easy. But, um yeah, I mean, for the most part, like we had such a talented group last year and um, it was really sad to see the season be cut short like that because I was really excited to be heading into playoffs right. and, um, you know, would have been obviously my first experience in, in pro playoffs. So um, I was really excited for that. And then obviously, like I said, the group that we had was so incredible and uh, I think we would have done some big things. I think so too. I would have been really excited to see that team go on a run and get hot. I just I remember how the season started, and I just remember watching that team, and I thought, thought like, okay, this is way too good to be an AHL team. It felt like at times, you know, seeing what you guys did at the start of the year there. Yeah, I know. I think we won like ten in a row, and at that point, we were just like, oh my gosh, are we going to go undefeated this whole year? <laughs> yeah, that would have that would have been unreal. But like, I, I'm I'm wondering like where. Where is something that you like to improve on your game when you're working in front of the net? Because that we talked about in the AHL or in the OHL, maybe 40 of those goals came from uh, you right and tight. And I see that's where you do it a lot at the AHL level as well. Whether you're on the power play or at five on five, it just seems like you know. Is there some way that you kind of look at trying to dominate the net front presence? Yeah, um, you know, like I said before, I think you know my first year I was getting out muscled a little bit and, and just kind of not outworked but out battled and um this year i thought i did a better job of that and and i think i need to do even better next year i think that um you know getting into that position that i need to be in and being able to hold you know big defensemen off is something that i need to do to have success and um you know i work on my deflections a lot i I work on tracking rebounds and and you know getting them up right under the bar so that the you know the goalie can't get them and and that's something that you know i think i probably missed a cup like i'd probably say close to 10 you know deflections this year mm-hmm. where you know they should have been goals but i didn't get all of it or i didn't you know have my stick and on the right angle or whatever it may be so um that's something that i'm working on a lot this year as well so that i you know come next season when I get into that position and I'm fighting in front of the net, I can, you know, make sure that if I'm, you know, I recognize the angle that I'm on and that, you know, I'll have a better deflection that it will go in because, you know, if I can increase my goal total, you know, by 10, you know, that I think that would probably help us win, 
you know, a few more games. So um, that's something that I'm working on is, is getting those deflections and in better positions and um, obviously my strength and balance so that, you know, I can still, you know, maybe do a better job of out-muscling defenders. And uh, it, it's not all from goals in tight. I do remember you coming in uh, down the wing one time and absolutely drilling a shot bar down. Do you remember that goal at all, the absolute snipe that you had? Yeah, uh, I think I it was do. against Bridgestone. Or, sorry, I forget their name. Bridgefort. 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 Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that one. That's I'm, I'm, I have been working a lot on my shooting as well, mm-hmm. um, shooting in stride, shooting off different, you know, each leg and, and changing the angle on my shots as well. So hopefully I'll have a few more of those goals as well. <laughs> Most definitely. And when you talked about the World Juniors team and getting on such a skilled team, you mentioned that you, you kind of knew your role going into that. I'm wondering if if you like project yourself into the NHL and where you want to play. Like, is, is there a role that you think that you can fill at the NHL level that your skill set is different than potentially what they have on the roster right now? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of look at, you know, guys like Roussel and Beagle and like kind of those bottom six guys that play – you know, a big part in, in team success. Um, I think that I can be a physical player in the NHL. I think that I can also score goals in the NHL, though. Um, you know, obviously, I feel like I have a lot of work to do. I think I need to work on my speed. I got to work on my strength. I got to work on my conditioning. There's a lot of things that I need to get better, but I do see myself playing in the NHL and in one of those, um, you know, power forward shut down roles that can also score so i think that's kind of what i'm aiming for absolutely well that's good to hear i, I feel like that's uh that is a spot that's kind of calling your name from the way that you play the game and um i i want to ask a little bit about somewhat of being like a power forward type guy you know you're you're not afraid to drop the gloves at all um i've been in a couple fights in my life but uh none on the ice so i'm wondering like what's going through your mind when, when the gloves are about to get shed is it just kind of like you see red and just start chucking or is there something that goes through your mind at all when you're in a fight um uh it's it's kind of hard to say i mean like i guess you know I, I've, I've been in a couple fights and um I, I you know i'm not i'm not afraid to drop the gloves i mean if if someone wants to fight me and there's there's good reason for it then you know i'll definitely do it <laughs> i'm not someone that uh you know goes looking or running around goes looking for fights i'm not really that type of player and um but yeah, I mean, like, if, it, sometimes I guess it just it happens so fast that mm. you know you don't really have time to think about it, <laughs> yeah. and you know that's all right with me. I just want to get a good grab and and throw some punches. But yeah, it's <laughs> definitely not something that I shy away from. <laughs> that's good to hear, and, and it's it's something that um, I don't know how to say this, but I feel like the Canucks have gone through something in the past few years where. Uh, where there is a dirty hit, people have been looking for someone to step up and, and do something about it. Um, Zach McEwen, actually, who you played with for a couple of years there, I mean, he's been excellent at it coming into the lineup. If if there's a dirty hit on one of their stars, you know, he is immediately shedding the gloves and go to it. How does that kind of play out in your brain? Like, for you, uh, if, if they go at somebody or anybody, really, it doesn't even have to be a star. Like, what triggers in your brain? Is it just immediately you got to go back your guy up? Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it goes through my head. Um I just, I feel like I've always been like that. I mean, you know, my second, my second OHL game, I was, you know, 15 years old still because of my late birthday. And, um, Petrus actually got hit from behind by, I think he was like a 20 year old. And I just turned around and dropped my gloves and we went at it. And that was my first ever fight. I didn't think twice. I just, <laughs> you know, I saw, I saw it you know something i didn't like and i wanted to protect my teammates and um i i guess i've just kind of always been like that but yeah i know i mean q does a great job at that i think 
we were playing in uh oh where is it um florida's ahl team uh anyways we were playing there yeah springfield i think um I got I got hit by one of their big defensemen and you know like I got smoked not just hit I got <laughs> smoked and and I you know I'm still on the ice and I look up and then Q came flying in and then fought the guy so uh, I know he's got my back as well and you know there's guys like Arsenal and Stevenson like there's a lot of guys and Banksy like every I feel like everyone on Utica has each other's <laughs> back and I think that's why it made us such a tight group but yeah I mean you know for me if I see something like that then you know I have no problem stepping in for my teammates absolutely well that's good to hear and yeah you mentioned it uh, i won't be including that hit uh in the article by the way just so you know uh, <laughs> yeah i'll have to delete that footage <laughs> yeah we'll keep that one out for sure um and jonah i guess one of the things that you've kind of battled with over the past couple of years is going through a few injuries uh, now that you have like a little bit of an extra extended time do you think this is going to help you going into next season to kind of be fully healthy uh when the regular season starts yeah, totally. I mean, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty in tune with my body. I think that, you know, I've done a good job at, you know, setting myself up for, for avoiding injuries. I think I, I do a lot of work on on my body in the off season and then try to prep myself for, for in season. But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's <laughs> you can't control what happens in season. You take an awkward hit, you fall awkwardly and you just tweak something and have to take some time off. It's, it's, it's not something that you can prepare for. Um, but I do think that having this extended off season will, will allow my body to get stronger and uh, I guess more durable so that I can avoid that in the future. And uh, we talk about next season. It's kind of, uh, you know, it's been crappy, I guess, some of the news that I've kind of heard over the last little bit. It's There's not really a set date for the AHL season. Uh, what's it kind of like for you guys right now? You're just kind of in limbo and just kind of training as much as possible and just waiting for some good news, I guess? Yeah, basically. I mean, you know, when they called off the season, I, I came home and I was, you know, just working out still. I just in my basement. I mean, everything was closed, but I was trying to stay in shape uh, just in case we got the call back. And then when the season was completely canceled, I think I took a, a about two weeks off. And then uh, I think beginning of May, first week of May is when I... I started training again, like, you know, my summer program Mm -hmm. and I've been training ever since. So it's been, uh, it's been a long off season so far, but you know, I I feel good. I feel strong. Um, and now it's just kind of, you know, I'm starting to ramp up and just so that I'm prepared for whenever, whenever we get the call. Uh, I'm just like, I'm thinking about this extended off season. I'm just picturing like every guy in the AHL being like 20 pounds heavier with muscle next season. (laughs) Everyone's going to be shredded. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was, it worked out excellent for a guy like Olya Levy who came into Canucks camp, I guess the second training camp, if you want to call it that way, um, with, you know, a healthy body, a guy who's battled injuries a lot in his career. Um, And I think he he impressed a lot of Canucks fans. He impressed a lot of Canucks media just because, you know, he was given that extra time to come back and be fully healthy. So uh, I'm hoping that it's a similar way and hopefully the AHL gets going up soon. But a couple guys, you know, I've heard it kind of float around that the guys were looking overseas. Did that ever cross your mind at all this year? Yeah, actually, it kind of has. I mean, uh, you know, I think that that would be good for me just to get some more pro games in, uh, you know, because obviously we still don't know when, you know, training camps are going to happen or when the season's going to start. So because everything's so up in the air, I mean, it could be a possibility if I, if, you know, if something makes sense and then Vancouver kind of okays it and, you know, obviously there's still a lot of stuff in the air, but Hey, like I'd love to get into games right now. I'm, I've been in a gym for like over five months now and, (laughs) 
it's uh, you know you're just kind of itching to get back on the ice and into games so uh, you know we'll see what happens but obviously my main focus is just to be prepared for whenever Vancouver has, holds their camp so I can go in and impress and and push for a spot absolutely and um, that's that's kind of the cool thing going into it like I wonder um, and I've talked to some guys about this that have mentioned that they have a, a somewhat of a goal kind of going into the season is is there something that you know, let's just say the AHL were to restart in December when the NHL starts. So, you know, is is there a goal for you going into next year that you would kind of like to hit? Is there one thing that you would like to see happen? Um, I, you know what, heading into this past season, I had, you know, multiple goals. I think, I think that, you know, I'll probably have the same thing heading into this season and I'll probably, you know, talk with my, you know, sports psychologist and my agent and, you know, really give things, uh, you know, a thought about how I want to be in the upcoming season. Obviously I want to have success and, you know, maybe it's, it's even a conversation with, you know, the coaching staff in in Utica or your management in Vancouver of, you know, what is something that's attainable for me to achieve this year. And, And obviously I want to set the bar high because I have, you know, high expectations for myself and I want to have success and I want to impress everyone and I want to improve my game. So, uh, those are things that are just going to come, uh, I guess closer to the season, but yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, every year I, I try to focus on specific things. Absolutely. And, um, I think it's cool for a guy like you who's, you know, in a stage where he gets to develop so much and learn so much about the professional game. Um, you, you know, you're going to turn 22 next month. Uh, and looking up at what's going on in the NHL team with Vancouver, like how much does it excite you? Did you follow their playoff run at all? Yeah, I did. I was, you know, trying to watch as many games as possible and I was, you know, following highlights and, and following them as best I could. So um, it was exciting to watch them for sure. Absolutely. Well, that's good. And hopefully we can get you up there uh, very soon. I think Canucks fans will be very excited to see you uh, bring your game to the NHL level. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to be there. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, John, I'll let you go over there. Uh, I think uh, it's been a great conversation. Hopefully people enjoyed this, and I'm going to enjoy writing this article about you, man. That's great. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right, and thank you very much to Jonah Gadjevich for joining us there for that great conversation. Quads, I don't think you've heard it yet, but I mean, that conversation I had with Jonah Gadjevich, one of my favorite ones uh, that I've had. I thought the way that he articulated, the way that he looks at the game of hockey was so cool. Um, I really enjoyed that conversation, man. We could have gone on for another hour and a half, and we did, actually. like honest, Not like an hour and a half, but after that, I think we went on for like 20 minutes off air. Uh, before and after the show, like the actual interview. So that was really cool. Um, Jonah Gadjevich pulling for the guy because he was a really nice guy to chat with. And I thought he really understood um, what he kind of needs to do to become an NHL player. He's he's not a guy who wants to crack and play on a first line. Uh, he knows his role. It's, it's what he talked about a little bit with being a guy on the World Junior team as well. Like, he, he said that he knew what his role was going to be on that World Junior team when he made it, and I think that he's taking that same kind of mindset uh, to make the Canucks. Like He knows that he's going to be a third or fourth line guy in the wing who needs to bang bodies, kill penalties, and do all that type of thing. So I'm excited that, uh, that he kind of has that mindset going into what he wants to become as an NHL player. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, it's it's really good to see that he knows what he has to do, and like you said, and like he said, he hasn't, been, uh, hasn't taken a day off in like five months from the gym, right? So I mean, when you're doing that, good things usually come so hopefully he's somebody who can make it because not only would it be good for him it'd be huge for the Canucks to have another prospect hit and actually play at the NHL level 
Yeah, we joked about that in the interview. He said that uh, he's heard that a lot of other guys in the AHL have just been like in the gym waiting to know what the hell is going on with the AHL. And I asked him, I was like, is everyone going to come in at like 240 straight muscle next year? So that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, he said, yeah, it's just going to be like a yoked up AHL. Everyone's just going to be massive next year because they've just been <laughs> sitting in the gym since the AHL season was canceled. So uh, I thought that was pretty funny as well. But um, let's move on to some stuff that I know that you wanted to talk about a little bit. It's something that you're working on right now with Jacob Markstrom. And, uh, how much you believe he was the MVP of the Vancouver Canucks, I believe you were going to say? <laughs> no, no, no. I am talking about how Jacob Markstrom was the top three goalie in the league, at the very least. Like, maybe top two, okay? The only goalie who was better than him was Connor Hellebuck, in my opinion. Um, you know, when I look at the Vesna voting, I see that Andre Vasilevsky and his two seven or 917 save percentage finished third in voting, and Markstrom finishes fifth. I mean, I know it's the GMs, and I was talking to Kevin Woodley a bit about the Vesna voting and how it works, and he said the most important thing to these GMs is wins. And I mean, Vasilevsky definitely deserved the Vesna win last year when he got it. Uh, in the 2018-19 season, he had a 925 save percentage and a 39-10 and record with four, four uh overtime losses so the thing about that season though is he was facing a lot of shots right like the Tampa defense wasn't what it was this season in the 2018-19 season it wasn't as good it was a very porous defense core that he was playing behind and he was backstopping so when I was talking to Woodley about it I was like Woodley pointed out that like a lot of the advanced stats that show Markstrom was a top two goal in the league don't even have Vasilevsky in like the top 15 or top 20 and I mean that's alarming uh, but he wasn't too, too bad this year. But when he was asked about it, basically he mentioned like, I wasn't facing as many shots and it was something he wasn't really used to. And that got me thinking like, okay, so not only was Jacob Markstrom outstanding this year, right? For the same reasons that Vasilevsky was outstanding in 2018-19, playing behind a bottom five defense in the league, uh, backstopping them to the postseason berth, all this great stuff. Like Markstrom was so vital to the Canucks. I've said it before and I've said it again, like Markstrom is the like the best goalie in the Pacific Division by far Western Conference whatever you want to call it like you know well I guess Hellebuck but whatever um the point is the point is that I'm thinking when Markstrom signs as a UFA right like bear with me here if a team were to take a flyer on Markstrom and I know there's a lot of interest in Markstrom out there does a team see that hmm, maybe this goaltender was in an environment with a goaltending coach who really understood him and was really able to morph his game, see Sergei Bobrovsky in Florida, right? Is this a guy we really want to be paying long-term for? Because if, if say, it's, say it's a team like Calgary that has a pretty good defense, right? What if Markstrom's not used to facing less than 30 or less than 40 shots a night and all of a sudden he struggles because that's what happened with Vasilevsky right like his defense improved but he became worse and I mean he's playing great in the playoffs right now don't get me wrong but regular season alone you know like Vasilevsky did struggle this year compared to what he did last year and the year before that and what those two years have in common is their defense wasn't as good as it is now so I don't know. It got me thinking a bit and it's just something I'm working on. And I thought I'd throw it out there for the listeners on the podcast because who knows, like maybe Markstrom struggles with a change of scenery. Yeah, potentially. I think that a lot of teams are going to look at Jacob Markstrom and what he did and think, oh man, what would that guy do with our defense in front of him instead of what the Vancouver Canucks was, who was, you know, a bottom five team for giving up scoring chances, giving up shots. They were, you know, they were a bad team when it came down to that. So I think that a lot of teams are thinking, 
maybe he only gets better. So, I mean, looking at the, I guess, the system that they had in front of him, yeah, it sounds like that's a that's a cool you know theory that maybe that the way that Ian Clark worked with Jacob Markstrom actually worked. But I think that you know Jacob Markstrom gets in front of a better defense. I think he plays a little bit better. But then it's tough too because you look at some of Jacob Markstrom's games and some of his best games are when he faced over thirty five shots. There was a ridiculous stat I can't remember the exact number, but like Jacob Markstrom's record when he faced thirty or I think it was thirty two or more shots uh, was absolutely. I think, but yeah. Yeah, I think that I think it went down to 32 actually, and it was even still really good. But like when he faced a decent amount of shots, um, he he had a ridiculous record, and the Canucks won a lot mm-hmm. of those games where he only let in one or two goals. So yeah, that's that's an interesting thing to look at. I I think that Jacob Markstrom is going to get paid big time. I, from what we've heard, um, you know, there's a lot of teams that have Jacob Markstrom as the number one guy circled on the top of their free agency board. And I, you know, when if the Canucks can't get this deal done by October 9th, it's 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 not going to last long for him on the free agent market without a contract. Like he's going to get a contract pretty fast. There's a lot of teams that are obviously very interested in his services and, and yeah, like it's, it's crazy to think that the Canucks might be forced into moving into Thatcher Demko instead of kind of making that decision on their own, but that's got to be something internally for them to decide. And if, if Jacob Markstrom wants five years and a no move clause and wants something like 5.5 to $6.5 million, unfortunately, like, the Canucks have to walk away from that. That's that's too much money. That's too much control in Jacob Markstrom's camp. And it's just, it's crazy to say that you need to walk away from your two-time MVP. But if that's going to be the reason why, like, it's not really a bad decision, I think, in my books. If if Jacob Markstrom coming in at $6 million over five years with that no-move clause, you can't really do anything at the, at the expansion draft. Like, you're going to have to get rid of Demko no matter what Demko does next season. Uh, that's a scary thought. So it's it, it might be time to walk away from Markstrom, and I think that if we start to see him get closer to October 9th, it's there's more of a chance that he is going to be leaving to go somewhere else, whether it's you know Edmonton or Calgary or Carolina, even Colorado's in the mix from what I've heard. So I mean, like there's some there's some pretty good teams. Like man, I just I think of Jacob Markstrom landing in Colorado, and like Colorado has all this cap space and this incredible core already that's locked up at a pretty low rate for a lot of their top players. And these guys coming in like Bowen Byram and Alex Newhook, you know, you had Jacob Markstrom with that group, and and man, like like I'm, I am worried about what the Colorado Avalanche are going to do to the league over the next couple of years if that happens. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, something interesting to note. Drancer was talking to a pro scout of an NHL team, and that pro scout told Drancer that he thinks a lot of teams, the team he worked for included, has Jacob Markstrom as the number two UFA that could make the most difference for the team that he that signs him, right? And I mean, that list would usually, what you would think, is probably Alex Petrangelo number one, and then Taylor Hall right behind him. So the fact that a pro scout of an NHL team thinks that Jacob Markstrom can have more of an impact than Taylor Hall can. Like, imagine putting that on your 2020 Apocalypse bingo card at the start of the season. Like, Taylor Hall was supposed to be the big UFA this year, and now Markstrom's ahead of him in the eyes of a few NHL teams. So, I mean, I don't know. It's just something interesting to note because I know the Canucks probably don't rate him that highly in the point that they wouldn't pay as much as a UFA signing team would. I mean... The, if if he signs with the Canucks, it'll be for less than whatever he was being offered on the open market, for sure. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a similar situation with Chris Tanev. Like, if we've heard some rumors and stuff, but, yep. you know, that's the thing. We're not going to dive into a ton of rumors. I think what our plan kind of is, is when news breaks, we're looking at doing um, some emergency episodes. That's why we're not going to really go super in-depth about rumors. But, like, we feel like we could date ourselves pretty fast if a signing were to come down uh, the pipe. So we're not going to dive into a ton of stuff unless there's some real rumors that we want to get into. Plus, we did mm-hmm. it a little bit uh, on Wednesday's episode anyways. So we're not going to do a ton on this episode. We're going to talk on stuff that's actually actually going down um but um there was something else you wanted to talk about i forgot now quads (laughs) no worries so the vancouver canucks have given louis erickson's agent jp barry the same man who represented the sedine twins has given him permission to talk to other nhl teams to find louis a new home now the catch here is that the canucks have told barry and erickson's camp that they will not be retaining salary on this trade the issue for them is that no team wants Ericsson unless the Canucks are retaining salary. And the number I saw thrown out there is a team won't take Ericsson unless the cap hit becomes $3 million. That means the Canucks would be retaining 50% of the salary. I don't know about you, Chris, but if I'm the Canucks, I'm just doing that. Because you're only going to free up a little bit over $1 million if you bury Ericsson in the minors, which is what it looks like. So if they don't trade him, right, and they don't retain his salary, like they have to have some sort of plan, right? Because that would be your best option to shed his salary, right? And now the question is like, do they have to give up an asset to pull that off? Because now if it's, you only get 3 million in cap relief and you give up a second round pick just to get that, I don't, I don't think it's worth it. And I mean, Jim Benning's gone on the record and said that he doesn't want to move out money or sorry, move out draft picks to free up cap space. So, I mean, it doesn't look like that's something we're going to see happen, but I mean, you know, only 50%. I mean, I, I, I don't know, like, what's the cost for a team to take them? And I mean, there's a few teams that need to get to the cap floor, namely the Ottawa Senators, who just bought out Bobby Ryan on Friday morning. So, I mean, uh, like, I, I don't know, like, it, it, it's a tough situation because it, it looks like Erickson won't be moved unless the Canucks are willing to retain salary, which, to my knowledge, they are not willing to. Yeah, and like you mentioned, Ottawa Senators, I think it's $18 million to get to the floor right now for their cap hit. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Louis Erickson's $6 million would obviously help that, but there's a lot of teams around the league that are going to be vying for that $18 million to fill up uh, for the Ottawa Senators. They would love to do them a favor and dump some of their bad contracts there. So exactly. uh, I think the Ottawa Senators are about to get a haul of draft picks uh, coming up pretty soon here because they're going to fill up with a lot of guys who are making way too much money. So that's going to be an interesting to see that play out. Um I think I agree with you. Um, if the Canucks were to retain 50% on Louis Erickson's contract, that's saving you $3 million. And, you know, if you're not giving up a, a pretty high pick, I think that you can package up Louis Erickson and let him go. For me, I've I've kind of come to the conclusion that the Canucks aren't going to be able to do this with Louis Erickson. We've heard a lot of stuff. Like you mentioned, Jim Benning doesn't want to retain on that. Um, I've almost just accepted that Louis Erickson's contract is just going to have to play out at $6 million on the Vancouver Canucks. He's going to be a guy who plays on the fourth line and maybe gets time on the second group if you want to get you know, him killing penalties and making that defensive line for Bo Horvat. So I've just come to the conclusion that that's what I've accepted with Louis Erickson. So it's not like, you know, I, I would be surprised if they actually were able to trade him. Um, and then, yeah, it's buyout day on Friday as we're recording this. So we haven't heard anything come down the pipe yet. But like we said, we will uh, we will definitely be looking at some emergency podcasts if anything does come up here very soon. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I thought we were going to hear something today. It doesn't look like we are, so when you're listening to this on Saturday or Sunday or whenever, there shouldn't be any news because typically news doesn't happen on the weekends. But man, next week for sure, 
This is going to be the calm before the storm, I think. Yeah, I think that's the name of this episode, actually, to be honest, is what we'll be calling it. Um, and I guess we'll, we'll close out now since we've, uh, we've run for a decent amount of time. We'll close out with a little prospects report. Um, we touched on it on Wednesday's episode. If you haven't gone back, uh, and listened to that one, I highly recommend it. Obviously, we had Niels Huglander on the show. You want to listen to that. But I, I also heard some stuff about the AHL. I tweeted about that over the past couple days. Um, that there is growing interest from Niels Huglander to play in the AHL just from the fact that he would be one of the first players called up to come and compete for the Vancouver Canucks spot if there's an opening in the top nine group. Because if they, if anybody goes down on the wingers, it seems like Niels Huglander would be the guy to go before Cole Lane, before Jonah Gadjevich, you know, potentially even before a, a Justin Bailey or, you know, Zach McEwen to play in the top nine. So I guess there's growing interest from the uh, Huglander camp that that might be a better option for him and a quicker path to the NHL instead of going back to the SHL and being forced to finish his season. Because it's not like if an injury happens to the Vancouver Canucks and Huglander's over in the SHL, you know say in in february he can't just be like oh nice there's an opening now i can go over but if he's playing in the ahl or staying in north america and practicing or being with the black aces or however the hell they're going to work out uh, minor league teams next season with the vancouver canucks and the whole nhl to be honest like then we'll have to see how that works with huglander i know that traveling through uh america to canada as well is going to be a 14-day quarantine so if there is an ahl season uh, i'm gonna i'm very curious to see what the vancouver canucks do about this if they are going to explore potentially having an AHL team in Canada. That's something that we might see. We might even see the AHL bubble hockey in Canada as well. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff on the table right now for the AHL. Um, and they're just trying to get their players back to playing because it is a developmental league, right? And, you know, a lot of NHL teams want these guys who are in the age group of 20 to 24. They want these guys playing hockey, you know, like they, they don't want to have to loan them to different, different, leagues around the world they want them to be playing in their backyard and potentially be able to be called up so it's going to be a very interesting little bit here for the AHL I think we're not going to hear news for you know like really I have no idea when the news about the AHL is going to come down but I've heard that there's a lot of different stuff on the table uh, for that league so I'm curious to see what happens there with Huglander for sure yeah likewise man I'm pretty interested to see because it really will impact the Canucks in a big way yeah, huge way. Cole Lynn, Jonah Gadgets, these guys are, you know, even Ole Levy if he doesn't make the Canucks or, or a Jack Rathbone if he weren't, weren't to make the Canucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, you wonder what these guys can do at that point if there's no AHL, right? Like, what do you do? Do you just, do you just have a black aces team that kind of follows you around? Like, there's, there's a lot on the table, like I said, and, and we haven't heard a ton of news out of the AHL about that. Uh, but I'll, I'll keep checking in with the people who do have some information, see if we can get anything out of them soon. Uh, the final thing I wanted to talk about a little bit. Big moment today in a KHL game as Vasily Podkolzin drops the gloves in in, in uh, his first fight of the season in the KHL, and I thought he held his own pretty good uh, fighting against a guy who was a KHL veteran, you know, a 23-year-old. He looked pretty good, dropped the gloves. I thought he, you know, it was probably a draw, to be honest, in the fight, but I feel like Podkolzin landed a couple of good ones, and, you know, he didn't take any crap from the guy who was kind of holding him on the boards and pushing him around a little bit, and that's just nice to see out of Vasily Podkolzin. Dude, I sometimes forget that Puck Colton's younger than me. Like, that's a, that's crazy for me to think about. Because <laughs> last year was the first draft year where the players drafted started being younger than me. So that's... Uh, I was I was looking at his age today. I'm like, wow, he's born in 2001? That's insane. Like, <laughs> crazy. Yeah, that's how I feel every single day that I record with you. So, <laughs> <laughs> But no, at the same time... And you know what? Like, a lot of people, they come at me on Twitter, like, how many goals do you score? I know basketball fills all over me every single game. <laughs> But, uh, but like, you know, how many goals did he score? Why isn't he putting up points? And it's like, 
you know, Pod Colson's not going to be the guy who puts up points like Elias Pettersson did in his draft plus one season. You know, like that's not the way that he plays the game. But the way that you see him impact a game, I've said this a hundred times, it's going to be so impactful at the NHL level uh, just from the effort level that he's bringing. And, and honestly, like, I, I don't critique Pod Colson a lot because there's a lot of stuff that I like about his game. But over the past couple of games, now that he's playing 17 minutes and, you know, firing three, four, five, six shots a game on net. He, he probably does need to work on his shot just a little bit. You know, like, you know, he does need to work on his shot if there is one thing that he needs to work on. But it feels like the rest of his game is is NHL ready. You know, like, there's there's a lot of good in this kid's game. But over the past couple of games, I specifically noticed it. His his shot just happens to go right into the goaltender's glove. He's got to get it a couple inches higher or a couple inches lower or potentially start going to the blocker side. Like, a lot of his shots, uh, he's trying to go glove side and it just seems to find the goaltender's glove a lot over the past couple of games. Specifically... Like I said, these past couple with the COVID outbreak on the SKA, like it, it's been flying through that team. Five of their top eight scoring forwards are not in the lineup. So Pod Colson's playing top six minutes now, and he's getting a lot more opportunities to score goals. And, and you're starting to see it. Like if there's one thing that really needs to improve before he gets to the NHL level and can contribute, it's going to be that shot. So I think that's something that he's going to have to work on this season. And like you mentioned, he's younger than you. The kid's 19 years old. He's got another year in the World Junior Championships this year. So like there's a lot of stuff, a lot of time for this guy to improve and get to a higher level i mean he's playing against men in one of the top i would say top three leagues you know the ahl the nhl and the khl uh kind of stand above the other leagues to me the shl is great uh but the competition's just not the same like it is at the khl the khl to me is a much better league um and we're seeing pod coles and a 19 year old kid play in that league contribute be effective in every game so um if he can improve on that shot a little bit and start to you know just get it a couple inches in a different direction because he's just finding the glove right now i think we'll start to see a few more goals coming but the playmaking looks great you know I- i'm excited to start to see some of these points tally up because who knows how long these guys are going to miss out of the lineup due to them being, you know, having the coronavirus now. It's it's a scary thought to see what's going on. And, you know, even today we see the crowds absolutely packed again at Skaz Arena. And uh, it's it's a scary situation. But if you want to look at the positive sides, I guess, like, I mean, Pod Colson is getting a lot of minutes. So um, hopefully he can stay safe and healthy because I've heard some people have been DMing me wondering uh, about the long-term effects if, if he were to, contract the COVID-19 virus as well and you know like I don't know I'm not a doctor and I don't think that doctors have even done enough research on this to know as well uh, from what I've heard there's not really any like you can't really do a long-term study on COVID yet right so um, hopefully this kid can stay safe man that's the biggest thing I see right now the KHL like it's I just every time I see it it just scares me a little bit you know like I they tweeted out about it I I think it was about 3 a.m this morning and they were tweeting about it like oh, we just sold out the arena. And I'm just thinking, like, man, like, like I don't know. <laughs> to me, it just seems crazy. But, like, apparently they have a vaccine over there in Russia from what I've heard from people. And, you know, some people have come out and said, like, these are are adults that are making their own decisions. So let them do that. And I said, okay, like, you know, it just, to me, from the outside looking in, it scares the living hell out of me, to be honest. Sputnik 5, baby. Did you see, actually, I guess we don't want to talk too much about COVID, but... The only two countries that have developed a vaccine that's in stage four and past stage four testing is Russia and China. So do with that what you will. Huh. Maybe they're just ahead of the world, man. I have no idea. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, all right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there, man. We got a good conversation with Jonah Gadjevich. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Got into some good stuff and did another 15 minutes on Triampkin. So that's the way this episode has gone this week. That's the way that a lot of episodes tend to go. We'll continue to follow these prospects. And like we said, um, 
emergency combos will be coming very soon because we believe that next week's going to be a big week. I thought, to, you know, like it's Friday today we're recording. Yep. I thought today was going to be the day that we were going to get some news. Something in the air. And we both woke up and we were texting each other about it. We're like, it just feels like something's going to happen today. But we didn't get anything on Friday. Unless you see an emergency combo that came out yesterday. Like maybe something's going to come down <laughs> late Friday night as it's um, it's 2.53 p.m. right now on Friday. And we got nothing yet. So um, we I'd may like see an emergency episode. Yeah. I'd like to point out Judd Brackett was let go on a Friday afternoon. Actually, I guess it was like morning slash afternoon. Judd Brackett was let go. Trevor Linden was let go on a Friday. I believe. You'd have to check that one, but I'm pretty sure it was also a Friday. And then Brock Besser was signed on a Monday. So, what I'm saying now... Actually, I don't know who we get fired. Nobody's getting fired right now. Well, Ian Clark's been making news a lot. Maybe he'll be the next one to go. Oh, man. Don't even go Um, there. I know, I'm just joking. But I, I'm, I'm saying, by Monday, Monday at 6 p.m., uh, Monday by 6 p.m., we're going to see the first contract signed. I'll say All that. right. All right. Well, we'll see you guys for an emergency episode on Monday then. Um, so we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this conversation. Like I said, I, I had an absolute blast with Jonah Gadjevich. Going to be working on the deep dive, uh, going back and watching some AHL games this weekend. I've got a busy weekend, Quads. I'm going to be working my ass off. Uh, for Canucks Army this weekend because it's going to be fun to put out some content um, because, yeah, I feel like it's a good time right now and, you know, nothing's really happening. Like we said, I feel like this weekend's going to be, like you said, it's it's the calm before the storm. I feel like next week things are just going to ramp right up uh, with the draft only two weeks away. Like, everything's going to come down fast and furious pretty soon here. So uh, we'll keep you guys covered. And like we mentioned, emergency episodes. Uh, if anything does drop, we'll just get together real quick and bang something out for you guys, whether it's 20 minutes or an hour, depending on the situation, I guess. Uh, but we'll definitely have you guys covered there. It's going to be on this regular feed here, but uh, we'll see when those episodes come out. Is there anything else you wanted to close out with, Quads? Nikita Triamkin, I'm rooting for you. Wow, some words I never thought I'd hear. Um, <laughs> so we'll wrap it up there. For David Quadrelli, my name is Chris Faber. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.